All right, by a, a show of hands, how many of you think about gifts when you think about Christmas? Anybody? Show of hands. Christmas, I think about that. I think about gifts or presents or whatever that may be. For all of you who did not raise your hands, you're lying. Of course, we all think about gifts on Christmas. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We've been buying gifts for months now as we've been preparing for the biggest day of the year where gifts are exchanged. In fact, most of us can't think about the word Christmas without thinking about the word gifts. I mean, it's Christmas Eve right now. Many of you might open gifts today as a tradition in your house. In fact, my kids opened up a gift this morning as it's a tradition in our house on Christmas Eve. If not, most everybody in this room will open some type of gift tomorrow to celebrate Christmas. But when was the last time you really thought about why gifts are given at Christmas? Why don't we give gifts like this at every holiday? As a matter of fact, I would bet that all the kids in the room this morning wish that we exchanged gifts on every holiday like we do at Christmas. But why? Why gifts at Christmas? Well, I've heard all sorts of reasons why people say traditionally we give gifts at Christmas. One of the most popular reasons for giving gifts at Christmas is because the wise men gave gifts to Jesus at the very first Christmas. Here's how Matthew puts it in chapter 2. He says, When the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going down into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure, him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And maybe you remember this account of the Christmas story, and maybe you think, yeah, that's why I think we give gifts. Well, listen, there are so many different traditions throughout the years that we could talk about of why people exchange gifts at Christmas. I mean, if you really just think about it and boil it down, we are, in fact, celebrating a birthday party. How many of you receive gifts at your birthday party? Why would that not happen when it's Jesus's birthday? We could come up with all sorts of reasons, but I think the reason we give gifts at Christmas could be for a much bigger reason. In fact, I believe that God is the greatest gift giver. Now listen, when I say this about God, it's bigger than just being a love language that maybe God has. Many of you might be familiar with the different love languages that exist, whether it's acts of service or gifts or, or whatever it may be that you would say is your love language. Certainly, the Lord loves to give gifts. But obviously, God doesn't fit into these categories like we do. You see, God is the best gift giver, not because it's his love language, but because God himself is love. It's his very character. It's his very nature to love. As we think about the love of Jesus, as we think about the greatest gift giver, I think there's no better way to see this or experience this than through celebrating the gift that he gave the world at the very first Christmas. Let me, let me remind you of what we read this morning from Luke chapter 2. It says, while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
Think about the gift that was received that day on that very first Christmas. Listen, Christmas is about gifts. I will not deny that. But it's not about gifts because of any gifts that are given to Jesus or because of the gifts that we give to each other. It's about gifts because of the gift that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Listen, I know it may sound a little cheesy. You may be thinking, Danny, you're comparing Christmas gifts to the gift that God gave in Jesus. You are the perfect dad joke giver right now in this moment. And I would agree with you. It's a little cheesy. But God did, in fact, give us the greatest gift. Listen to this from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes perish but have eternal life. Or maybe you prefer how Paul put it in Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death. But listen to this, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about how you might measure the value of a gift. How do you, in fact, judge its worth? Is it by size? I know for me, when I was a kid, my father always did an incredible job of packing gifts in different sized boxes. As a matter of fact, I would look over there and see a box that my sister had that was bigger than a box that I had, and I would automatically think, they must have gotten her a better gift than they got me. But in fact, my dad might put a small pair of earrings in a huge box that a refrigerator might have came out of, right? Why? Because as kids, sometimes we measure the value of a gift by its size. Maybe you value it by its weight. Do you remember those days, gifts and shaking it, and you thought you would pick it up and shake it around, but the moment you picked it up, you were like, oh, this gift is extremely heavy. And you might have thought in the back of your mind, this must be an incredible gift because it weighs so much. Matter of fact, I remember my dad doing this as well. He might put rocks in a box so that we would think that it was heavier and more valuable than the gift might have actually been because we thought as kids, it's a huge box and it's really heavy. It must be the greatest gift. Maybe you might measure the value of a gift by how long you had to wait or who it was that gave you the gift. Let me remind you of something. Regardless of how you judge the value of a gift, there's nothing that compares to the gift of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say, first of all, that we want to measure gift of Jesus by usefulness. Now, these are just some of my own gauges for good gifts. Maybe you think useful the gift is, because for me, I think the best gifts are gifts that you will actually use for a long time. Will I do anything with this gift a day or a week or even a year from now? Or will I only look at the gift in a moment and then realize it's not not that useful to me. What is the usefulness of the gift? Well, listen to what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Listen to this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That is, Jesus came. That God sent his only son into the world so that, listen to this, so that we might live through him. Do you hear the usefulness of the gift that is Jesus so that we might live because of this gift? Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. I came that they may have life, have it abundantly. What a gift, not just life, but life which means something, life that 
It's worth something. Abundant life. Life with a purpose. Life that has value. Life that has meaning. A life that will have eternal consequences and benefits. Listen to what Paul puts it as he describes the abundant life that we have in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what he wrote. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Friends, think about this. What gift could be more useful than what God offers us through Jesus? What other gift can bring eternal, abundant life? What gift can bring meaning and purpose to our lives like Jesus. Well, let me answer the question for all of us. There is none. Jesus is the great. Let me show you something else, though. Let's say we want to measure God's gift of Jesus by cost. Maybe that's how you think about a good gift. How expensive was the gift? How much did it cost? Because the ones that cost the most, they must be the most Valuable. Well, listen, if that's true, think about the value placed on the gift that God gave us through Jesus. Listen to how John describes the cost of God's gift in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, listen to this, to be the propitiation for our sins. You know what that means? To be the cost of the debt paid for our sins. Nothing has a greater cost than your sin and mine. In fact, we've already read what Paul wrote in Romans 6, 23. The wages, the cost of sin is death. That's how much our sin costs. It costs us everything. Can I remind you of something? God knew what had to be done. He knew the price that had to be paid. He knew what it was going to cost him, and he sent the best for you and for me. He sent Jesus Christ, born as a child for the salvation of the world. Think about this, friends. If he gave that much to me, if he gave that much to you, what should I give to him? I love how David expressed how much he wanted to give to God in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Here's what he said. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. David said if he was going to give a sacrifice to the Lord, he was going to give his best. He was going to give something of value, something of worth. Why would this? Because that's what God has done for us. He has given us the most precious gift he could possibly give, something of greatest worth, something most valuable, something that's one of a kind. He gave us his son. If cost is how you measure a good gift, how good is the gift of God through Jesus? Now watch this. Let's say also that we want to measure God's gift of Jesus by effectiveness. Maybe that's one way you would think about how good a gift is. Let me give you an example. If I get a toaster for Christmas, I expect it to make toast. You with me? If I get a coffee machine for Christmas, I expect it to make coffee. If I get a hair curler, I'll probably just re-gift that to someone else and ask you why you gave it to me. But it's a good gift. It has to work. It has to be effective. Does it do what it was intended to do? Now, follow me. 
What could be more effective than the gift God gives us through Jesus? He saved the world from the consequences of sin. But listen to me, friend. He also saved the world from the conditions of sin. He has changed us. He has changed the world through Jesus. Listen to what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He wrote, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. You know what that means? He's changed us for also change the world. The word ought that John uses sounds like a suggestion, but it's really not a suggestion. Here's what it means. The word ought really should be translated as must. It means to owe something to someone. Because of God's love shown to us and received by us, we must, we owe it to the world to offer them that same love. 1 John 4, 11 could be translated like this. If God so loved us, that should sound familiar, by the way. It's the same words used in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. If God so loved us, we also must love one another. Why? Why must we love one another? Well, it's pretty simple, friends. God isn't done loving the world. In fact, he wants to keep loving the world through you and through me. I love how chapter five, listen to his words. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, that's how effective the gift of Jesus is. It doesn't make toast. It doesn't make coffee. No, no, no. Listen, here's what it does. It changes dead, wretched, selfish sinners into loving, compassionate people who care for the needs of those around them. God wants to love the world, and the most effective way is to give us Jesus so that we can give him to others. This is why I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to these words. He seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us, listen to this, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Listen to this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Man, how many of us can echo that truth? Thank you, God, for your simple gift. Friends, God's love 
is still at work in each of us who follow him so that we can show others how much God loves the world. There is nothing as effective as the gift that God has given us through Jesus. You show me another gift that can be as useful or valuable or effective as Jesus. In fact, listen, you can use whatever gauge you want to use on what you think makes the greatest gift, but here's what we will all come to. There's no gift that can come close to the gift that we have in Jesus. He is the greatest gift, and God is the greatest gift giver. Listen to how Jim Wolfe put this truth in a poem that he wrote titled, The True Story of Christmas. Here's what Jim wrote. It happened on a silent night 2,000 years ago. God sent to us his own because he loved us so. While angels watched from up above, the blessed baby was born and laid into a manger on that first real Christmas morn. The shepherds came to worship him, the eastern wise men too, to celebrate his holy birth as now all Christians do. The greatest story ever told is not of shopping malls. It's how God's son was born on earth to love and save us all. Friend, do you know the real reason why we give gifts at Christmas? It's because God gave us the greatest gift at the very first Christmas. He gave us Jesus. Can I ask you something this morning? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you and save you from your sins? Have you repented and trusted in what you on the cross? I know we're talking about the birth of Jesus. I know what that's what we're celebrating tomorrow. However, we can never separate the cradle from the cross. We can never separate the manger from the mission. We can never separate the savior from the sacrifice. This is why we never want to forget to celebrate his death as we celebrate his birth. In fact, in just a few moments, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna celebrate the death of Jesus together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We'll pass out the elements, we'll spend time reflecting on what Jesus has done for us, and we'll drink the juice and we'll eat the bread all in memory of Jesus's sacrifice. But listen, friends, before we do, each of us must spend some time alone, just us and Jesus. So let me ask you a couple of things. If you're in this room this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, can I just share something with you? Can't celebrate this victory with us, at least not yet. You can't celebrate what you've never received. You see, Jesus offers new life through his death and his resurrection. Will you today trust in him? Maybe your moment alone with Jesus is for you to spend some time asking him to be your Lord and Savior today. If you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus, here's what I would ask you to do. In just a few moments, you can slip right out of your pew and you can find me or someone else in the lobby. And here's what we'd love to do. We'd love to take our Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus today. And right now, this morning, you can celebrate the Lord's Supper with us for the very first time. But can I speak to another group in the room this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus today, then celebrating is exactly what each of us get. However, let me ask you, are you ready for the celebration? 
the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11 not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but instead each of us should examine our own lives. So here's what I would invite you to do, Christians in the room this morning. Maybe in these next few moments, you'll just take some time, just you and him, to examine your own life. Ask Jesus to forgive you for any sin in your life so that you can celebrate fully today his death and resurrection. I'll tell you this, you can also slip out to the lobby in a moment if you need to pray with someone. You're welcome to come to this altar today and spend some time with Jesus if you would like or right where you are, you can get alone with Jesus and pray and ask him to prepare your heart and your life for the celebration that we get to be a part of. Either way, here's what I'm gonna pray for us, and then each of us will take the time to respond to the Lord Jesus today. Don't forget, friend, he's the greatest gift. If you need to receive him, you can. If you need to celebrate him, you can. Let's take a few moments and spend some time alone responding to Jesus today.